So the big question is this. How do married entrepreneurs like us who have decades of business building experience, how do we break through common communication, productivity, and profitability barriers all while living powerfully in sync? That's the big question, and this podcast is the answer. You see, even if just one of you is called to entrepreneurship, the family is called to entrepreneurship. No, the goal is not the almighty dollar. We're aiming for the almighty impact. What's up? This is O.L. and Sway Buckley. Welcome to the Married Pernod Life Podcast. Marriage Marketplace Ministry. Let's go. Hey, everyone. This is O.L. Buckley. And this is Sway. Of MarriedPernodLife.com. Yep. This is where we help high-achieving married entrepreneurs who want to give more clarity, generate more income, and of course, leave a lasting impact. Yes, we are legacy builders pioneering a way for marriedpreneurs that disrupts the cycle of settling to establish a radical family empire. We are legacy builders and we are so stoked for this episode of Marriedpreneur Life. Yes, really excited about this episode want to share some things with you. I want to tell you a story that I'm confident will be beneficial to you all as married entrepreneurs, regardless of where you are on this journey to building a family empire. This is a principle that I learned well over six, about seven years ago Mm -hmm. that has been so transformative and has definitely helped us as married entrepreneurs moving forward. And I would say this is the pivotal point this this was the the pivotal point in our journey of working together as married preneurs, right? Absolutely. Um, once this particular thing happened, everything else changed. And for those of you, I didn't say this earlier. If you're this is your first time listening, welcome. We just we are pretty unscripted. I mean, we do have a framework, but we're pretty unscripted because we want to be as transparent as possible and not so um, calculated where we don't really get to the nitty gritty of what we want to share with you. So with that being said, um, welcome, welcome brand new first timers and those who are returning. Hey fam, what's up? Glad you're here. Now on to the story. Yes. So well over, it was well over, I would say at this point, maybe 11 years ago, I had transitioned into the world of banking and I got in at a very interesting time. As some of you may remember, in 2007, uh, that was a very, that was a, that was a significant downturn here in the U.S. economy, and there was a lot of distrust within the banking industry, and for good reason. Uh, that that distrust was not unwarranted. So I transitioned into the banking industry at at, at that time not even realizing that I was really swimming in deep waters and that I was having to overcome a lot of things other than what you would call or we would call the normal learning curve. And so after spending several years in the banking industry and really, really being blessed to excel and to succeed in that industry, as a result, what happened was there were several institutions, several banks that from time to time, you know, they would scout, headhunt and recruit. And so I literally went from performing well at the first bank that I initially started my career with to then moving to another bank to where I was recruited and then to one more bank, which would have been the last and final institution that I worked for. And while I was working there, I had brought at this point so much momentum. I had brought with me a a a bevy of clients that I could bring over who would follow me to whatever institution that I was working for. 
And so the last place that I worked, the last institution I worked for, I was in charge really of uh, uh, small business banking and wealth management for our particular office. And I was going out and building relationships, really hitting the ground running and had ended up uh, getting an appointment with a particular hospital. And this hospital was going to be, um, we all believe, was going to be just an amazing client, not just for our bank, but even for our particular uh, office that I was working out of. And so I had gone through all the normal sales processes and so forth, ended up getting the appointment with the president of this particular hospital or the director of this particular hospital and having a Monday morning sales call and and, and everything is going great. And I'm on this big region-wide sales call. And if you've done sales, then you know you got to report what's in your pipeline. What are you guys working on? So here it's our turn. And I share what we're working on. My manager is in there. He's proud of our team. I'm proud to be uh, able to have had this opportunity. And I'll never forget the regional sales director said, hey, team, and then he named the office we worked out of. He said, after the call, hang around because I want to call you guys right back. So we finish up the district-wide sales call and hang up the phone. Within a minute later, the regional sales manager calls our office and says, hey, yeah, by the way, OL, cease and desist. Basically, stand down. Long story short, there was a whole nother division within that institution that was looking to bring this particular hospital onto the bank. And this other particular division of our bank did a completely different thing than what I did. It was a completely different role, a completely different task. In fact, it would have been beneficial for the bank itself for all of us to go into this meeting, do the normal sales processes, listen to the needs and the request of the prospect and figure out and devise a plan as to how our bank could help facilitate their financial goals. But instead of taking that route, instead of taking that team player initiative, the bank told me to stand down. Make a long story short, after that particular call, one day I walk into the branch, walk into the bank, and I'm going into my office and Next thing I know, I was being called in and told, hey, this is your last day. I was so devastated. I was so blindsided. And I think the hardest part was I couldn't figure out where it came from. And being blindsided like that and literally now being thrusted uh, out of a job, I realized it's possible to do so well that it actually doesn't look good on you or it could literally create a situation where you get thrusted. And for me, that was my quick reality to learning three principles, three lessons that I want to share with you guys from that experience that rings so true and has definitely helped us as married entrepreneurs. And the first one is this. Before you go into that, sure. I wanted to say something too. I think it's so important, especially for those who are listening for the first time that, you know, like you said, that was about what, six, seven years ago. And so much has happened since then. Whereas like us having our individual businesses to um, working together as, together as couplepreneurs, 
I mean, there's so many different, like amazing growth um, area areas of growth that has occurred since then. And but I will say this: that it was not an easy journey in the sense of we were just like, okay, we know what we're going to do next. Like I was already doing my thing as entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And when that happened with you, of course, and I think you should say this should be said as well, that we knew your time for working a nine to five was very short. We even recorded, I recorded him saying that and the last promotion that he got, because he kept getting promotion after promotion after promotion, promotion. And we were like, okay, this is it. And then clearly God felt the same way, but we knew the grace was lifting and it just happened that way. I was really, I was pleased because I knew it was happening, but of course you didn't necessarily feel that way. Um, for, for, I mean, obvious reasons, right? There's so much that's tied into, uh, having a job or having a career. Um, but one of the things that we did immediately following, like you, that happened that morning, mm-hmm. we went ahead and, um, I said, well, let's go ahead and get all of, into all of our doctor's appointments. Like, so in one day, and if you all know how crazy it is to get into a doctor, we um the same the, day. the same day it's crazy to get in the same week yeah so god opened the door we were able to get into our general practitioner to get our physicals for the year we were able to get into our optometrist we were able to get into our dentist all in the same day because i was like listen we got until five o'clock to make this thing happen because you're still covered we're gonna figure out what to do after this but in the meantime they made the mistake you know, and, and firing you at eight o'clock in the morning. So that gives me the whole day to start, you know, it's first thing in the morning, start calling these offices. And many of them were like, well, no, you know, it's going to take a couple of weeks. I'm like, I don't have a couple of weeks. We need to come in today. Do you understand today? Like somebody's going to cancel their appointment. Something's going to happen. We need to come and see you today. They all worked it out. So I just say, thank God for that. But, um, it's so important just to be on the, on the same page. Absolutely. On the same page. I think that's paramount before going on to the next thing. So, okay. As you yeah. Know. So there were three key principles that that whole experience taught me. And the first one is this. Really, a job is, in many respects, a false sense of security. Mm. And there are no guarantees with the job. And you might say, yeah, but I'm doing well. I'm being, I'm excelling. I'm being promoted. My boss values me as a team member. And I'm going to say this, and I don't want to sound pessimistic or negative. I just want to sound as real and as authentic as I possibly can. People can say you're a valued team member. People can say how much they appreciate your contribution and your production. But again, that is no guarantee. That is no uh, a job security. That is a false sense of job security. Because at the end of the day, you're still dealing with humans. And human beings are frail. We are fickle. We can feel one way about you on Monday and another way about you by Wednesday at lunch. I mean, it literally, life can turn on a dime. And so a job is a false sense of security. There are no guarantees with a job. And this was a very difficult pill for me to swallow because, I mean, I was raised in a family culture that valued a job, that valued hard work. And I'm not saying that there isn't value in a job. Of course there is. I'm not saying that there isn't great things to to learn and gain from hard work on a job. Of course there is. Of course there's value in a nine to five. That's. I'm not saying that there's not value. What I am saying is, is that there are no guarantees with a job. Mm. There are no more guarantees with a job than there are with anything else 
in life. And I'm just saying a lot of times what we deem as a sense of security, really it's a false sense of security because things can change. That's the first thing I learned. The second thing and lesson that I want to share with you all is there's no such thing as the right time, right time to do what? There's no such thing as the right time to start a business. You can look at the conditions in any industry, in any sector, and that's an external observation, and come up with reasons why you shouldn't launch, why you all should not step out and build your family empire. You could even look at your internal circumstances, your internal situations, and say, well, with, the, with our family dynamics, this is really not a good time for us to to launch out, to create, to build, to scale even, even if you're already doing it. You may say, well, this is not the right time to even scale our family empire and to take it to the next level. And I'm just going to say that as long as you continue to observe the circumstances, there will always be something that will suggest now is not the time. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that when I was released, when I was let go from that job, and that was no doubt the Lord ordering my steps in that situation, I could have looked at that and said, hey, we've got a mortgage. Hey, we've got these bills. Hey, we've got that, this, and so forth, and the other, and the other. And what about our plans? What about our vacation plans? And here's the biggie. What about health insurance? What about dental insurance? What about vision insurance? And all those quote-unquote benefits. I We could lay out a laundry list of all the things that would suggest now is not the right time. Maybe we should have six months of income saved up instead of three. Or maybe we should have 12 months of income saved up instead of six. There's always going to be a reason, but I want you to know, when it comes to your purpose, when it comes to building the family empire that you two were called to build, there's no such thing as the right time. That's the second lesson I've learned that I want to share with you all. The third one that I want to share with you all that I've learned is simply this. Whatever it is that we do or you did as a nine to five employee is essentially the same principles and practices and wisdom and competencies that you're going to do as an entrepreneur, as a marriedpreneur. In other words, the same things that you're doing to further the vision of company ABC is the same thing in principle and essentially that you would be doing to further and grow your family empire. So let me give you an example. Well, I was in sales. I was in financial sales and I had my licenses and I worked in wealth management and I also worked in business banking and business development. And I can can tell you right now, I do so many of those same things as marriedpreneurs, as a married entrepreneur. We're doing those same things even now. So don't look at, Mm -hmm. well, if I do leave, if I do step out there courageously on faith, if we do And hey, you may be in a situation where one of you is the entrepreneur and the other one is working a nine to five. And, you know, that's that's what we would call a spousal preneur. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, now's not the right time. Or I don't know how my skill set and what I do in my nine to five would really help my spouse. Here's what I want you to know. Business is business is business. Mm -hmm. Every business does marketing. Every business has sales. Every business has branding. Every business has business development. Every business has some degree of fulfillment and delivery. It's all business. Every business has accounts receivable. Every business has accounts payable. All of this, these are just the, the, the essential underpinnings of any business. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking about a hobby. We're talking about a business. So when you look at what it is that you do, that translates over. So for me, I was in sales. Guess what I'm doing? Sales. I'm still in sales. As a married entrepreneur, we are in sales. That's right. Okay? You may say, well, I, our business is primarily online. Every time you post, every time you write a blog, that is sales, my friend. That is branding, my friend. Mm-hmm. That is advertising, okay? That is marketing. And so whatever it is you do, don't look at it as so unique that if you launched out to further your family empire and say to yourself, well, I don't know what I would do. My question to you would be, what are you doing now? Mm-hmm. That same skill set is so portable. It directly translates. It's immediately applicable into what you would do to build your family empire. So I shared three with you. A false sense of security. That's the first lesson I learned. There are no guarantees with the job. Mm-hmm. The second lesson I share with you, there's no such thing as, quote unquote, the right time. And then thirdly, to launch. To launch. Right. And thirdly, I said that whatever you do in your nine to five, those same skill sets are portable. They directly translate over into you building your family empire. Here's a bonus I want to share with you. And this is so important. You might think, wow, that's basic. It may be basic, but Mm -hmm. it is indeed profound. Mm -hmm. And that is this. Always, always, always play big. Mm -hmm. No batter steps up to bat with the sole intention of per se just trying to get to first base. Of course, the goal is to get to first base. But any batter, any batter is thinking, how can I hit a home run? Right. Right. And, and sometimes scoring means keeping, playing big. No, all the time scoring means mm-hmm. playing big mm-hmm. and keeping the big picture in mind. So I just want to encourage you and just suggest to you, and just not not even suggest to you, but tell you mm-hmm. to always, always play big. Yeah. And that can mean so many different things. I could tell you to say yes to this and to say yes to that. But I guess in short, I would say, say yes to your family empire, to what you two are called to do. That was amazing, husband. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this episode of the Marriedpreneur Life Podcast. If you did... You know what to do. Yep. Subscribe, rate, and review. And of course, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Yes. All right. Y'all have a good one. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Marriedpreneur Life Podcast. If so, you know what to do. Review and rate. And definitely do leave a comment. We love to hear all of your takeaways. Also, if you don't know, we are planning our very first Marypreneur live event. It's going to be amazing. Go ahead and get on the VIP waitlist over at www.marypreneurmap.com forward slash waitlist. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, what's up? This is Oel Buckley. And this is Sway. Of marypreneurlife.com. This is where we help high achieving married entrepreneurs. We want to get more clarity, generate more income, and yes, leave a lasting impact. Yes, we are legacy builders. We are pioneering a path for marriedpreneurs that disrupts the cycle of settling to establish a radical family empire. And welcome, welcome, welcome to the Marriedpreneur Life Podcast. Those of you who are with us for the first time, we're so excited that you were here. We are honored. Those of you returning, what is up, fam? Glad to have you back here in the Marriedpreneur House. So today, we're going to take you down 
a little memory lane and just really share some real life lessons that we know will be super valuable to you and actually just i think and just to be fair in all transparency we're giving you a little bit tiny taste behind the scenes of the types of stories lessons but it's going to go way deeper than this that are going to be shared at Maripreneur live next week and we're super excited about that Maripreneur live is the number one live event uniquely created for married entrepreneurs helping married entrepreneurs build a family empire and a lasting legacy so we're so geeked about that you can get more deets over at todaylive.com quick little plug right there okay so here's the thing i was talking to the hubby and we've been getting and gathering all of our stories we've been so inundated with just really making sure it's the best of the best content the best of the best lessons the best of the best activities and implementation going on there it is literally going to be an amazing opportunity for married entrepreneurs to work together right there in the in the space and walk away with their customized growth plan for 2020 there's nothing absolutely like it like for real we're so excited so we wanted to just give you a little taste and kind of work out any kinks that may be in the way i don't think there are any really with this this is going to be lots of fun so i asked the hubby if he would be willing to share his story because i feel like you know a lot of times you don't hear about like our backstory um, and especially his because he doesn't talk as much as I do and that's okay I don't mind being the talker but you you are a talker he is a talker you just kind of got to push those buttons those talker buttons um, so I asked him so I just wrote down some stories I'm like oh what about this story you can share this story all oh, these lessons that you could learned over here what about this what about that and so today for this episode we landed on some stories well a, a well there's a lot of stories combined in one yeah, but these are going to be lessons that Mark Cuban taught me. Lessons, Mark. And I should say this before you go into your lessons and talk about how what that even means. Like, did you really, like, did he teach you these lessons? Or did you read about this? Or, like, do you actually know him? Or how did this, like, yes, the Mark Cuban, Shark Tank, billionaire, that one. Yeah. Um, owner of Dallas Mavericks. Owner of Dallas Mavericks, that one. Um, before we do that, I do need to give you a quick disclaimer. We are in the car, so if in case you hear any ambient noises, honking, screaming, y'all, you know, yelling welcome to our world no you shouldn't hear that we're on the turnpike in new jersey so people are pretty calm here it's just a lot of traffic on the way to church so with that being said i think we're ready to take it away or you're ready to take it away yes so just for a little uh establishment i worked for mark cuban as a producer on a, a television show and partnership that he had with cbs broadcasting And so when I was working with him, my roles literally went from non-speaking to speaking. But in both cases, I spent a lot of hours with him on set, a lot of time in production meetings. And so there was always a close proximity between the two of us. And yes, I've gone to games and stayed in box suites and yada, 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 all the stuff that you could possibly imagine. And yes, we hung out on more than one occasion uh just even off work off the clock so to speak so getting right to it here are three things that i learned or that mark cuban taught me during my time working with him number one yeah go ahead i'm not gonna butt in no it's okay so well i'll tell the story first i think that's what you were getting at yes i love story time so 
we were on set and part of the show was shot because it was like a variety show. Part of the show was shot at a restaurant in Dallas, um, a very well-known popular restaurant in Dallas that CBS would rent out every week and we would literally take over the entire restaurant. And there were um, so many times where literally the people who would just be patronizing the restaurant, those who were customers coming out for dining and so forth, would literally, they would be the, I guess you could say extras, if you will, on the set while we were shooting the show. So it was live, it was real time, and all of that. Well, Mark being the guy that he is, was very accessible, never really took himself too seriously. Um, and so, in terms of being a billionaire. And okay. so, with, people with the, with the <laughs> people would literally just crowd around him, as you could imagine, and pull on him and ask him for this and ask him for that. And what was so interesting is, for all of the people that were crowding around him and pressing up, pressing up on him and I mean, people trying to pitch him business ideas and trying to get tickets. And I mean, you name it. People were asking for it, pitching it, trying it, what have you. And in that kind of an environment, to have that many people pulling on you for, I mean, week in and week out for hours at a time. It was amazing to me how he was always the same mark. He never lost his control. And one lady, literally, um, <clears throat> one lady and actually one, one, one gentleman were trying to ask him for whatever it was. And I could see, you know, I like to think I'm a person with a fair, decent amount of discernment. He was like, man, I really wish they would stop. And he never got loud. Yeah, bodyguards running around him or- um, not really, mm. not really. I mean, he was literally that, that, that approachable. Mm. And so, and I mean, approachable, even not just like attitude approachable, but like physically approachable. Right. And I approached him in Starbucks and I was like, you know, my husband. And he was like, cool. And I told him, he was like, that's your husband. Yeah. He was like, cool. Walk up to him in Starbucks and yeah. chill. He was like, tell him I said, what's up? <laughs> totally. Totally. And so, yeah. And, and that's just the kind of guy he was. And so. These people were pressing him and pressing him and pressing him. Now, there were people who were with him who would pick up on that and they would be like, you know, okay, you know, like try to pull him away or something like that. But he never got rude. He never got indignant. He never got ugly. He never even carried an air of conceit. Like, you know, like you almost wouldn't know his net worth unless you knew his net worth. And if it wasn't for his popularity, you probably wouldn't know. And if it wasn't for people, you know, for magazines and publications writing up on him. So the one lesson I learned from him of three that I'm going to share tonight is control your emotions. Mm. Never let people pull you out of state. Mm. And when I realized that if he could do that on that level, then I'm thinking, okay, now, oh, well, what's your excuse, brother? So I realized that to have that kind of control over yourself, over yourself first and foremost, um, that's something that I that I wanted to model, something that I wanted to to practice, and something that I still do practice today. And I can say that I've gotten better at it. Um, so that's the that's the first lesson that Mark Cuban taught me. 
The second lesson that Mark Cuban taught me reminds me of a particular instance when <clears throat> we were in a um, we were in a production meeting, and there was uh, uh, someone in the meeting. I don't remember who it was. I think it was someone from the station. I think the Mavericks were playing the Lakers, and this is when Kobe was on was 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 still playing. So when the Lakers came to town, like tickets were massively sold out. Well, something that was very interesting, Mark was talking about how for the stadium, excuse me, for the arena, how the IRS was dinging him for comp tickets, meaning that the that 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 the arena was literally um you know, uh, taking a loss, and this is when it was just being built, and it was, you know, people were trying to, you know, um, I guess, pay off the mortgage on it or what have you, but it was a collaborative effort, so it wasn't just him, and I remember him talking about how he wanted to, you know, not necessarily restrict comp tickets, but how he wanted to find a way to continue to make those available without the arena taking taking a loss. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you, but the arena at the end of the year, you got to figure concession staff, cleaning staff, security staff, people checking people in and ushers and all, all of that, right? You got to consider at the end of the year what that could look like to the bottom line. And so I remember him we were having a strategy meeting about how can we find other ways to offset um, those comp tickets so we couldn't so we would so we so we didn't have to restrict tickets to the game for you know family members and people friends of friends of friends and all that kind of stuff. So he wanted to still keep that keep that feel around keep that keep that culture of what they would call you know um, rowdy Mavs fans for life and so just really keep that 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 culture of it being about the sport, it being about the game, it being about the experience and allowing other people who might not otherwise be able to, to share in that experience. And so the fact that he has strategies for that and he was thinking about, instead of just saying, well, let's give out less comp tickets. No, he was like, let's figure out a way to continue to make this same amount of comp tickets available, but yet offset the cost loss, if you will, uh, or, or should I say the the, the the dinging that we were getting to our bottom line from the IRS. And so because, you know, there's municipal tax that has to be paid for that. There's 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 all kinds of tax that has to be paid when you buy a ticket. It's like buying a hotel. There's city tax and this tax and that tax. So he was trying to figure out ways to offset that. And that's when I realized that you have to think creatively and set safeguards around as a business owner around your revenue. But I also realized <clears throat> that, um, that you want to be, you want to be generous without, um, enabling dysfunction. And let me explain what I mean by that. He still wanted to be generous, but he was challenging he was challenging us and I say us because I was one of those benefactors of free tickets. It was like we're going to figure out a way to continue to make the tickets available. In other words, he could have taken the hit. He could have said, "You know what? 
forget it. You know, we'll 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 eat that cost. You know, what's the big deal? But for him, it wasn't about his net worth. It wasn't about you know how much the tickets may cost to attend you know a game when the Lakers are in town. He was challenging us to think creatively so that the generosity can still exist, but yet we can make more sense of it. Otherwise, we could have just been like, well, Mark can handle it. Well, the arena could handle it. And that would have been enabling our dysfunction or possibly even been, been, been I mean, I'm going to speak for me, would have possibly kept me into a place of like, I don't know if the word is laziness or just not really thinking critically or not challenging myself. In other words, if if Mark was going to give you something, he was going to challenge you in it, not just to be a recipient, um, but be somebody who really brought something to the table, even if it was just ideas. So I really appreciated that because I was like, you know what? It taught me to be a solutionary. Excuse me. It taught me to be solutionary. Did I just make that word up? It taught me to be a solutionary, uh, thinking kind of a person rather than somebody who just receives. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to receive, but you're also going to come up with an idea. And so I really appreciated that. Be generous without enabling dysfunction or producing dysfunction. And so that was the second lesson that that I learned from Marquis. The the third and final one that I'll share on this episode is this. (laughs) Excuse me. There was a time that we were out and it was after the show and it was getting really late. And the restaurant was still open. And after the show, after we were finished taping the show, there would be a DJ upstairs. And sometimes it would be me. Sometimes it would be another DJ. And we, the this area of the restaurant would stay open till like 2 a.m. Well, Mark, everybody was like sort of hanging around and nobody really wanted to leave until Mark left. And that kind of happens when a bunch of people are hanging around somebody with that degree of influence. Nobody really wants to leave until that person leaves. And so Mark did something I thought was so wise and so brilliant as as a as a leader in the business, as a leader in the show. And I realized this. When he got up and left, it was probably, I would say, maybe just after midnight, maybe like 12, 15-ish or so. And he was like, well, production meetings in the morning and I'm tired. See you guys in the morning. And that was it. And he just bounced. And I realized that as long as he stayed there, people would have kept asking him questions and kept asking him questions and kept asking him questions. And we probably would have stayed there until the restaurant closed. But he did something that I thought was so brilliant. He set boundaries for himself so that other people could respect those boundaries as well. That's the last and third lesson I want to share on this episode is set boundaries for yourself and other people will respect the boundaries you set for yourself. And he kept those boundaries. And so when people see you compromise yourself, they'll compromise you. When people see you compromise yourself, they'll compromise you. And his that was, I believe, his way of saying, we've got a very important meeting in the morning. Do not be late. <laughs> and... Be sharp when you come. Don't come in there dragging. You know, come in there sharp and ready to contribute. Did you make it on time? I absolutely made it on time. And when he left, I promise you, I couldn't have been more than... I was probably less than five minutes behind him. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, those are three lessons that Mark even I think that's amazing because, man, there's so many more. And we're going to go a lot deeper um, 
this is just really surface stuff right but it's Absolutely. I, although it's surface stuff it's it's golden stuff and so um we just want to give you all a little sneak peek of what's going to be going down what's going to be going up next week at mary Panure live um we hope that this episode has been helpful enlightening encouraging and inspiring to you and if so you definitely know what to do you can go ahead and subscribe rate and review subscribe and like always look forward to checking y'all in the next episode okay guys have an amazing rest of your day stay encouraged stay inspired and go and do the same for somebody else